0: Over the coming weeks, months and years, the Wheel of Time will become more apparent on my channel, but not in place of my normal topics of interest, rather in addition to them. I will highlight future podcasts with a Wheel of Time What signature. Those who are not fans or are not interested will be well informed and can easily avoid an hour of talk about a story you know nothing of. The Weed of Time is a very personal story to me, and no doubt to millions of fans around the world. Clearly, I am not unique, therefore, in my appreciation of the story. I have, however, turned those pages with eager anticipation, emotion, and excitement, along with everyone else, and lost myself to the depth and breadth of the world that Robert Jordan created. The characters became my friends and my enemies. The missions formed my daily and nightly charges. The defeats saddened me. The victories urged me on and on and on. When the TV series comes out, I will watch it like the newest fan to observe the world I know so intimately come to life before my very eyes. How wonderful it will be to finally see old friends. The trailers and teasers have given us a view of what is to come, and I cannot wait. So here, I talk with Drab, among other of my usual topics, about the Wheel of Time, as it is, after all, the one giant link that introduced us. Yeah, Drab, this is, um, it's really kind of you to have accepted my invitation to do this podcast, especially as, okay, we've followed one another, I think, for a few months now, but we have absolutely zero concept of who the other is. Um, And, yeah, one of the benefits of social media is you get into contact with um, people who you do not really know. Um, But we have obviously a common passion, which is for the wheel of time um and i thought we could perhaps explore that and a few other topics so thank you very much for yeah for joining me you're welcome yeah now you're in california so that means you are a number of hours uh, behind me so it's it's not perhaps the most convenient timing for you so i have to thank you, uh, you know, doubly uh, for your sacrifice to your convenience and comfort um
1: uh, it's one o'clock in the morning but i'm a bit of a night owl so i'd be up right now anyway
0: yeah, but you're almost up 24 hours, it seems on, on Twitter, un- unless you have people who take over your account because you are you send messages and replies and likes and stuff at every hour of the day, don't you?
1: Uh, I recently tweeted, uh, I've had a song stuck in my head. It's a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, it's like, since, uh, since I've been knowing you or something. And he's talking about like, he has to work like he really loves this person, but he also has to work all the time. Uh, and it really makes him wanna lose his mind because of like the the stretch between uh, desire and then like putting up with it. And so I really like the Wheel of Time and it, it keeps me up at night, I have to say. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um- I have to also say that one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to speak with you, um, perhaps above um, a lot of other, okay, I mean, you know that I've spoken with The Road to Tarvalon, uh, Tracy and Amber, uh, in their podcast, because they're, they're brilliant, I find their, their podcast is fantastic. Um, but you, you also have this, you don't just simply agree with everyone, you also have um, a different opinion on a, a lot of topics. You have your own approach, but you, I also find all of your tweets to be respectful. Um, ha- how how I, do you? I sort don't
1: know of... about. I don't know about all of that. <laughs> <laughs> some <laughs> of them are some of them are downright rude, but uh, it's think, not on. Really? I, I I'm pretty rude to a lot of people.
0: Um, I haven't seen it. it.
1: May... It may seem like I'm new to Twitter because sometimes I get fed up with my account and I'll delete it. So this most recent time, uh, I heard someone I heard someone say we in a statement to me like, "Hey, we have been talking," and at that moment, like my ears sort of perked up and. I just got really paranoid. Changed the name of my account. Uh, started a new account. Took the name of my old account and then deleted my old account, like in maybe four days. Okay. And I tried to, I tried to notify the people that follow me, like, hey, follow me on my on my main account. And I, my expectations were met for how it worked out because I figured it would be, I would retain the number of followers that I would probably get likes on a pretty good tweet. And so it ended up like 17, 17 out of like 350 followers were like, hey, we'll follow you on your other account. And then I just started back up um, following people, getting to know new people. And all the people I used to know are still there on Twitter, but I haven't like gotten the numbers to approach them back and be like, hey, you want to be mutual followers again? So if you look in the the search for Twitter, you'll see like back to 2013 being like, you're so rude, like drab. And then some of the other comments will be like, oh, you're really nice. So I can be rude. I can be nice, but uh, it's not necessarily consistent.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, friend. I, I I never, I haven't read much of the 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 rude ones. I guess I'll look out for them. Um, but why did you get fed up then? Because I had a similar experience and I've, I've spoken about it a lot. And that's actually why I do this podcast is because I got so pissed off with uh, Twitter and the, the idiots on Twitter who are just who are just there to be rude um, uh, and aggressive. Um, I don't mind people who are disrespectful because we see that all the time. But there are some people who just make threats, who are um, racist, sexist and all of those things. I can't handle that. I don't want to see it. So uh, I came off Twitter. Um, But then I I went back on because of this podcast and I found the Weed of Time community and that was like a savior to me. So why did you get fed up? What was it really what pissed you off?
1: Uh, I often see like racist or sexist remarks um, or whatever kind of uh, remarks that may seem offensive. And usually I know if you just don't engage people eventually they'll disappear. And if they do reappear in your life, it's not really gonna be that big of a deal. But um, I was concerned with my most previous account uh, that my numbers were getting a little bit messed up. So when I looked at how my tweets were doing, like the numbers were starting to show like a, a downward a trend and I was kind of concerned about that and then when I heard um, like when I heard the word we in a statement someone made to me I was like okay you know this isn't just happenstance like it's not going to bounce back I should just uh, delete and restart because I don't want to have like a follower who's muting me so they're like hey this is what I'm doing today and then I comment on it and then like, I don't know it, but I'm on mute. And so why, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have say, said anything.
0: Mm.
1: So I just felt like I needed to start over and clear, basically clear all my mutes and blocks and give myself another chance to have like good numbers when I uh, inter- when I interact with people.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, which, which we can then build a bit of a bridge to uh, Wheel of Time because there, there is quite a bit of difference now I've heard of other communities on different platforms on Facebook and so on which I'm not familiar with I'm not on Facebook, um, I'm not on Instagram, um, so I don't know how these other communities are. Um, But there does seem to be a little bit of, um, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily hatred, but perhaps some people are a bit anxious about the diverse nature of the TV series. Some people are saying that it's not true to the Wheel of Time. And I'm of the uh, alternative perspective, which is actually, it is you know, a part of what Robert Jordan created. He did create a diverse world. The, the terminology is in there. Um, and also he has left certain elements vague enough for the reader to be able to uh, introduce their imagination. Um, so so where, where do you kind of stand on this, on this uh, particular issue?
1: As far as uh, hearing complaints or whatnot, about the authenticity of the books. The way I feel about it is the author wasn't just um, creating something from nothing. Like it was a process and it involved many people. And from what I understand, uh, if, the, if Team Jordan had not um, made certain boundaries for the author, the author would have written a different story so when it comes to is the show authentic to the books i think the fact that there's a team working on it uh, is enough for me because the last thing i would want is uh, just one mindset coming up with the show i would rather a team of people working together and being like we're gonna you know take some liberty with this and we're going to we're going to do this exactly word for word for the book here, and we're going to take some liberty here, uh, and come to those de- decisions as as a team.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think you're completely correct because there were, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of occasions where Harriet McDougall, um, the the widow of Robert Jordan, um, she said that at the time there were occasions when he. There was a team that would fact check the chapters that he wrote. There were also, I suppose there was some guidance um, um, from her, from perhaps the other members of the team uh, with regards to uh, the language used, the tone, or perhaps um, maintaining the consistency of the storyline. Because we're talking about 14 books plus a new spring, it is very easy to lose the thread, isn't it? In that kind of, uh, that amount of words. Uh,
1: My understanding of Jordan through hearing about the team and then also from reading uh, both what he wrote and also what Sanderson wrote is that everything is very modular. He's coming up with scenes out of sequence and then building something from those scenes. And I think that makes sense when you hear uh, commentary about uh, how well the books were written. And so as far as the editors coming back and saying like, oh, this uh, fact-checked, you put the characters in the wrong place if you want, like, wouldn't it be better if they were in this place at that point in time? Uh, I think not only that, but like you really should get, a, you know, a different perspective on what the character is thinking because it's coming off as offensive or like maybe you should write this scene from a different perspective so that the readers can actually, you know, feel for what's going on. And so, as far as the book going to the show and being authentic and then the book itself being authentic within its own bounds it really takes a lot of work specifically with the wheel of time to make sure that you're doing things correctly and stuff like are is the skin tone or the accent of the the cast like authentic like I could care I I could care less as long as they don't as long as they have the team fact-checking the things that are actually important, like what stuff happened in what order uh, and why that order is important for the character plot line or the the story plot line or the feeling that you were supposed to feel when you came across the passage.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And I mean, there are lots of old sort of classic uh, novels that we've perhaps read um, that go back a hundred, even just sixty years or two hundred years or whatever. And and right now, um, there is a debate within the educational system as to okay, this the language here has to be changed and these concepts have to be altered. Um, when Robert Jordan first penned uh, the the Eye of the World, we're talking nineteen ninety, um, or when it was first published at least. He started writing, I imagine, before then. Um, uh, do you think the the material stands up in a certain way because these these main the main village uh, members of the team sort of Emmons fielders they there is a certain protective, masculinity isn't there with regards to the uh, the Rand, Perrin, and Matt, perhaps a bit less with Matt, um, and with regards to uh, Egwene, not so much youth because she's a force completely unto herself, but um, I mean, do you think that kind of um, it's not necessarily alpha male, but it's a very old-fashioned thing. Um, do you think that stands up in today's society?
1: The Eamon Field the, the way they interact socially didn't seem to stand out to me when I first read the books. It seemed very natural, and now looking back, um, I've heard some people say that it's antiqued. Like the the relationships between the sexes in the books was antiquated and needs to be updated or whatever. Um, I think that it that the books are an abstraction and field is an abstraction, and we aren't necessarily getting the full picture of how these people would uh, interact in any given situation. So, I I just I could I could easily see these sorts of interactions happening in my country at least uh, today as well as in 1990, depending on where you are and uh, what the context is. Having a group of men, like a men's club, interacting with a group of women in a women's club, these are like American sorts of things that still stick around today. Like I'm in a fraternal, or I have been involved in a fraternal uh, organization for adults, like not, not like a fraternity for college students or whatever. Mm-hmm. and uh, we have a sister organization and there's women in our organization and men there's the sorts of coming to a consensus within your own group and then taking that consensus to others in the community to have events uh work out problems between your community members and so forth this seems very natural today and in 1990s so Uh, in other parts of the world in the real time people could do things differently and then other parts of the world today people do definitely do things differently but i it feels natural now and then
0: um and and are you involved in any of these other online communities or do you i mean as i said before you're practically constantly on twitter of time i mean are you also involved in these other facebook and instagram and so on or is that just too much work for you
1: I don't have accounts for Instagram or Facebook, and I'm not on any Discord servers, and I kind of, like, going to YouTube kind of ticks me off a little bit, and going into Google uh, Podcasts to retrieve, like, people will be like, oh, I'm on Podbean, and then I'll click on, I don't want to download that, and then I'll go back out of the application, into another application, search for it, find the whatever channel or station and then listen to it and really i would rather just do everything on twitter because it's totally possible to have a sort of podcast like that the only problem with twitter is that they don't remember shit and after like you know three days your podcast is gone forever into the past of your timeline and it's really difficult to bring it back again or annoying to your Mm -hmm. followers whatever
0: yeah I I'm it, it is quite funny I when I go back to look at something that I've liked um it's almost impossible to find again because in the passage of 3 minutes I've perhaps liked 50 60 things and um yeah it's, it's kind of tough to find something again. So I definitely agree with that perspective. Um, but California is the birthplace of so many of these um, technologies and uh, these sort of software behemoths. Um, so I, I take it you don't like um, appearing on too many of them.
1: I, I, I'm not uh, doing too well in life, I guess. So like <laughs> kind of appearing to like my, my, the people from my own past and my own social life, like I'm at the bottom of the barrel here. So me appearing on any of these websites isn't really gonna do much for me. People are like, oh, he's still alive. Good for, good for, like, okay. But uh, I I started on Twitter because I went to um, uh. Meetup. So there's, I think it's still around. There's a, I I don't know if I'm still on this website, but there's a website called meetup.com where you create an account. uh, You put your interest in there. So I put, I just bought this book on HTML and CSS. So I put down HTML and CSS. So I met a woman who was doing meetups. Like you meet people in public at some event and you hang out with them. Uh, and she had really great, she had these really great events where there was like free food and free beer and like these tech companies and everything was like comp. You, you like walk in the door and they give you like a badge and a lanyard. Like they just have these things for people who walk in the, door. and I'm like, okay, great. Uh, and we did this whole thing in Twitter, like in the Twitter building in like 2012 or 2013. And I was sitting there with a beer, like learning how to make CSS snowflakes from someone who like wrote the CSS for it. And she was doing like a PowerPoint and um, she was like, if you're, all of you who are listening to this, if you're into HTML and CSS, you need to get on Twitter because this is where, if something happens, like people will post it there and then you'll know. So start an account now, and then you'll, you'll know exactly what's going on as it happens from, from now on.
0: All right. A, a couple of times you've mentioned this thing about numbers. And um, yeah, as I said, I have a slightly uh, withdrawn view of what um, exactly the, the basis of Twitter may be, um, or even social media. I, I don't go after the numbers, um, because um, I'm not sure if it's see, it's a natural representation of who I am. So, I, But I see it a lot. Um, there are some people who have these accounts with, I don't know, 200,000 followers and they say, okay, I'm going to boost some accounts, guys. So who needs a boost and tell me what you have and so on. And there are lots of people sort of jumping up, me, me, me. Um, is that really the, I mean, because I have a feeling I'm, I don't correctly understand the role of social media within society as it were, because for me, it's just, um, it's just a community. And um, some community I share with, I spend time with, I'm entertained by, I mutually entertain as well. Um, But is there also like a real life benefit to be generated from social media? As in, I can see some cases, but um, do, do you know what I mean?
1: yes yes uh so the way i feel about uh my numbers or whatever is am i am i in tune with my account like like my account is tuned to something and i'm tuned to something can we bring our tunes together so that you know i feel like when i do things it's working and so when i talk about numbers it's the the impressions and engagements numbers that you get when you look at the little bar graph on your tweet. And so for me, what's important is like a logarithmic, uh, a logarithmic understanding of the numbers that you're looking at. So you have your base number, which is your number of followers. So at any given, uh, any given tweet that you tweet, you should expect 10% of your followers to have seen something that you posted. And then you should expect that 10% of them should engage with your tweet. And then if more people are, uh, if you make an impression on a larger number of people, you should keep that logarithmic scale all the way down to your likes so that your impressions, engagements uh, and your likes are all going 10%, 10%, 10%. And when I, even if like hundred people see my tweet, like I'm really hoping that there's 10 engagements because I know if I'm not hitting that 10%, 10%, 10% then, I'm doing something wrong and there is like an algorithm that goes along with it where sometimes you get more like a better than 10% and then sometimes you get less than 10% but as long as over the long run you maintain your logarithmic sort of scaling to your. Your content, then you're doing a good job at being like a, tw- a twitter person <laughs> and that's what i'm i want to do a good job of being a twitter person and so that's important to me
0: mm, yeah okay yeah i i I've, i think i've seen uh, some of these statistics on a few of my tweets um okay. the thing for me is it seems as though it's because it, it's quite i'm i find it random you know it so says there are some tweets or some jokes that I've made perhaps and I thought afterwards that was quite funny and n- nobody likes it um <laughs> and then I I write something which is absolutely silly and it's like 20 20 likes you know and so I mean, I I've, I feel like a bit like an Aiel yeah because nobody can understand my humor sometimes yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I, I don't know I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how it works I've given up with the the calculations but um, I, I just find it fun to be a part of some of these discussions and uh, and that's what i go for now
1: i really feel like you just have to keep on writing jokes like it doesn't <laughs> like if it's like oh that's a really that's a really great one you just have to let it go there's a lot of stuff where it's like oh this this person i found on the internet i want to follow them they're just like me and they seem about the same size and they're just doing the same things and you follow them and they they're not interested in you at all and you're just like but why why and you like scream at, at the universe but really you have to let it go because there's more people that you're gonna like out there and they're they're gonna like you back
0: mm. yeah th- this encar- tr- sorry yeah sure Yeah, this incarnation of um, Twitter for me is um, great because, um, like I said before, I didn't didn't have a strategy. I I joined Twitter in 2011 the first time around and I basically kept with that same account for eight years and I built up so many different um, uh, sort of groups with whom I interacted and I had no concept of strategy. And I guess I still don't. But the only thing that keeps me on Twitter now is entertainment, interacting with people who I think if I were to meet in real life, I could hang out with, have a couple of beers with and enjoy their company. Um, And that's essentially the only metric. Uh, which I use to interact with people on, on Twitter. I, I just want to keep it really simple. Um, but also, I can't help the fact that I'm interested in, you know, social sociological issues, political issues, and so I have to also interact with these kinds of things. And I, I bring the two, you know, the, the sort of fictitious element of my life along with the, the real elements, um, and, I, and I tie the two together. Um, but you keep things separate then, if I'm not completely mistaken.
1: Yeah, I recently, someone since this is a new, newer account, I think uh, September is when I started it. I haven't, like a lot, like I, I haven't seen a lot of accounts for a while. And so someone uh, retweeted the president of the United States and I was like, okay, I'm gonna read this because my, you know, someone I'm following retweeted it. And so I read it and I was like, this has nothing to do I mean, if the president liked the Wheel of Time, then maybe I'd follow him. But, (laughs) you know, maybe I'd support him on his social issues or his economic plan or whatever, but he's not. (laughs) So, you know, I got to put the president on mute because I know nothing important is going to come out of his mouth.
0: You're a Californian. I thought that made you automatically blue, didn't it?
1: Actually, I've been registered as a Green Party voter since I was 18. Um, cool. So my first, The first president I voted for was Ralph Nader. Uh, and then I voted for a Green Party president since then. And my local politics has been very much uh, like complaining about the environment and complaining about uh, social issues. And like my congressperson is Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. In, uh, in Congress, and I don't vote for her. <laughs> I don't vote for her, which would probably make many people uh, upset with me. Who would want to, uh, you know, vote for someone like that because you know they think that this person is a good politician or whatever. But really, I have like a website that I go to that says like we interviewed these candidates, or our party has done some research on you know these issues. And I read the reports, and I go like, well, if the most important thing for me is, you know, keeping planet Earth around for future generations. Then, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I vote uh, green as well here um, in Germany. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though. I, I Often with some of the people that I work with, we talk about politics. Um, and we obviously the, the USA does figure quite um, prevalent. It's prevalent, shall we say, in the way that we do politics, even in, in Europe. Um, the USA has played a major role in European society ever since uh, I don't know how many years ago. But you could also talk about martial aid and all that and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah. Um, So when obviously Trump was in uh, the White House and he was seemingly uh, unhappy with the the way NATO was going because of the lack of support of some European nations and he was quite sort of disrespectful with regards to these traditional allies, obviously the the leaders of the European Union got pretty scared. Um, So the traditional politicians are quite happy that they've got Joe Biden back uh, as in they've got Joe Biden back in a sense that uh, they've got somebody who is a real politician back as opposed to the the rogue that was Mr Trump um, but I guess for you as a, as a as an environmentalist you're a bit a little bit pleased that uh, Trump didn't come back but
1: that's not I, enough I, I really, guess I don't really it's, it's kind of uh, brusque to say or whatever, but I really can't tell the difference between the two parties at this point because the results are pretty much the same. But my experience with uh, European politics in the United States uh, was because of some personal culture that I was engaged in. <clears throat> so I've, used to on previous accounts follow uh lithuanian politicians because my mother took me to a lithuanian culture event and i met some people and they were talking about like how much the lithuanian government invests in their uh, diaspora or whatnot and so i learned a little bit about uh what it's like to join the european union what sort of uh desires a nation might have uh, in Europe, and then what sort of responsibilities uh, these countries have to the European Union or um, whatever sort of trade agreement or military agreement that they uh, want to get into. So specifically with Lithuania and the United States, while Lithuania was trying to get into the European Union, the United States was setting um, military spending goals for the country and it really kind of blew me away that the United States has like more than 15 percent of its GDP going into the military but just like all the other countries in the world are doing like one or two percent and like pushing a country to go from one percent of their GDP to two percent of an investment in their military is like has politicians like pulling their hair out, and that was really an eye-opening experience for me to uh, watch that going on live uh, from my, you know, from my bedroom. Mm, yeah, I mean, from
0: uh, from somebody who views uh, U.S. politics from a distance, I, I think i mean, I'm inclined to have a similar opinion to you. Actually, I think the Democrats and the Republicans are two sides of the same coin, um, and I think that ostensibly they are both. Uh, funded by um, lobbied by and perhaps in some cases dominated by the same interests um, Now whether those interests are in Wall Street or in the, in the ground somewhere in Texas I think there is um, there are similar influences uh, that um, influence those two parties um, but so the Green party is a thing in the USA. do you think there is ever? going to be an occasion where the USA moves from being a two-party system to multiple parties which have a realistic should we say uh, chance of uh, getting into the White House?
1: Uh, I once heard a speech from Noam Chomsky I think it was and he was in like Austin, Texas or something and he explained it in a way I really relate to and he says that in the United States, there's only one party, and that's the Conservative Party. And there are two factions, the, you know, the two parties, and they're not dissimilar. They're simply factional in that they have their own agreements with specific entities and individuals. Uh, they have specific interests in other countries. They have um, they have their own brand, and they aren't necessarily that different in from in terms of politics, but they are different in terms of their brands, and that is what uh, makes the United States special, I guess.
0: Okay, and do you think there is a chance that the Greens would perhaps one day rival these two bullies of? American politics.
1: So this most recent presidential election, the Socialist Party of the United States gave their endorsement to the Green Party candidates. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's, you know, significant that this long standing party uh, just, you know, that definitely has its own brand. was just like there's nothing better like there's nothing better than these two candidates that they put together we don't have the budget to create presidential candidates uh and they do so we'll just support them because it is sort of a socialist agenda so if there will ever be a chance for some other brand to you know Make make its place in American politics. I really think uh, there would have to be an investment made, like a monetary investment made, uh, or there would have to be a financial benefit to it. So if there was some sort of new wave of caring about the earth and making money and you know helping out everybody, you know, to the same degree somewhat. There would have to be a profit in it if it's going to happen in the United States. Mm
0: -hmm. And and for you, just uh, a very quick and easy question: What for you is funnier, that Trump called Biden a socialist or that people actually believed it?
1: Uh, I think Trump calling Biden a socialist is funny. I think mm-hmm. that's, a good, that's a good joke. Yeah, I, I mean, if there's one thing that uh, President Trump was good at, it was making fun of people.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he was definitely the cheekiest guy to get into uh, into the White House. But, um, yeah, uh, it's strange, though, isn't it, that the word socialist can be thrown at a Democrat when it's it's – and yeah, I, I don't see anything that the sort of so Democrats have done over the last few years that would in any way be interpreted as socialism. So, um, yeah, I don't know.
1: I think mostly the perspective of a, an average American voter who heard the word socialist, they would think in their mind, spender. This person is a spender they spend and they get no benefit from their spending and they're spending my money. And that's, that is what a socialist is, someone who spends the taxpayer's money on, on uh, sorts of projects that don't get results.
0: Okay. A very interesting perspective. Um, yeah, I, I can tell, obviously, from your tone that um, you know, the way in which you would view that perspective, um, it would be the same for me. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite strange because a lot of um, Americans love coming to Europe, and that's great. Um, I think it's always cool when there is an interaction of cultures, um, and yet they, 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 ha- they surely are not aware that they are coming into the bed of socialism in many ways when they come to visit these countries. Um, but it's never considered in that way. I, I don't know. I, I, would, from- I, would,
1: I would think if I went to Europe, I would think uh, all of these people I'm seeing like are paying their taxes and the government is doing some stuff. Like I really wouldn't want to get into it. Like how much do they pay in taxes? How much stuff do they get? I'm sure if I fell down, I would want to, you know, get medical help or whatever. Um, But I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan on falling down. And I wouldn't, uh, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't care.
0: (laughs) Mm. I mean, just, just to give an example. So I I don't know what life is like in the, in the USA, but where I am in Germany, if you've been working, for example, and then you lose your job, um, you are given one year paid leave as in you you are covered by social security for one year six months you are paid I think uh, 90% of your salary and then the remaining six months that drops down to 60% or something like this Um, and then after that you can if you haven't found a job within this period um, and at the same time the the local sort of job authorities is trying to help you find a job you can do training Um, And if you do a certain amount of further training that qualifies you to an extension of that period where they are giving you financial support. Um, And they, yeah,
1: I think it's a lot of very similar unemployment insurance. You, uh, you pay into your unemployment from your paychecks and then your employer uh, matches that. And then basically creates an account that you can draw from while you maintain uh, whatever standards that the unemployment insurance office gives you. Like, have you applied for a job this month? Then you would have to show proof that you applied for a job and were rejected in order to receive your unemployment benefits.
0: So there there is a certain amount of uh, social support within the USA. It's not just that you're on your own, but
1: There is, there is a social safety net, but every year it becomes less and less meaningful to the average worker who is getting paid less in real dollars, you know, as the years progress.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, cause I, I read quite a bit about some of the um, uh, the social issues coming out of, of the USA and, and people are very, it's amazing how um, polarized the views of the same topic from some people from the same kind of area. So we talk about um, the minimum wage and some people say, well, you get, you can get at least a minimum wage here. And other people say, yeah, but that minimum wage that doesn't get you far anyway. So that's not exactly something, you know, big to say that, Oh, wow, we paid a minimum wage. So, um, but all of these things change state to state, don't they? So if you earn a certain amount in, in, in New York, um, you can perhaps live like a king if you're in, I don't know, Tennessee or whatever, but vice versa wouldn't necessarily work. I mean, I don't know. Is, it, is there an awareness of that kind of thing in the USA?
1: It's, uh, it's apparent to a lot of people you need to spend a lot of money in rent or in commute time in order to make a good wage. The best... Paying jobs are going to be uh, in urban centers, and as you go out, it becomes less and less beneficial. Like the same job um, at McDonald's uh, in a city versus around where I live at uh, four thousand feet elevation. That's basic. I don't know what a foot is, but uh, it's high. It's a high elevation in the mountains. And if you were to get a job here at McDonald's, uh, you would you would be gaining like you know, 2,000 feet of oh, you'd be gaining like half the elevation to the ocean um, every time you went to work, and you'd be driving for a while, and so how much are you going to spend in fuel to work at McDonald's here, and like you could basically walk to work in an urban center or spend, you know, $60 a week on gas in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So, all right. So you, you're quite high up where you are. Um, uh, would that mean you're in the Northern reaches of the state?
1: I am, if, if you, if you went three hours East on the highway from San Francisco, okay, you would, you would end up, you know, a stone's throw from my house on the highway.
0: Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, have um, I've often said San Francisco is the only city in the U S that I would like to to live in as in cities. Yeah. And I haven't been to that many. Uh, so I mean, I I've been to Orlando, New York, I've seen St. Louis and not really been there much. Um, uh, Los Angeles, Fresno, um, I can't remember where else. Um, and of all of them, the only one that I really liked the feel of was San Francisco. Um, it just seemed a bit friendlier and a bit more authentic. Um, as an American, but also Californian, Do you, is San Francisco considered a bit more true to itself, a bit more authentic?
1: As a, I, I was actually born in San Francisco. Okay. And... I later moved here. Um, I would say, in my opinion, as someone who has mostly been in the United States for their whole life, like the San Francisco is the best city in the United States. If you go to New York, it's going to be hot for half the year and then snowing the other half of the year. If you're in San Francisco, like it's cooler more often but you now that global warming is happening there's like you can go to the beach so like in the same day you could be wearing you know tennis shoes jeans and a sweatshirt and then you take the streetcar out to the beach and you could wear a bikini so it's got really great weather um people can complain that it's dirty but that's really just the flat area around down like any basically any lowland part of the city is going to be you know dirty because it's an excellent place to live if you don't have a roof or any property like you could you could seriously live in san francisco year-round in you know sneakers jeans and a sweatshirt um but there are so many ways to walk around the city and there's so many little nichey like neighborhoods where no one ever goes there because there's no road that will get you to where you're going fast. So, and there's hills all over the place that are in the way. So if you walk around San Francisco, uh, there's a lot of different sites that you can see. And uh, the weather is getting hotter as the years go by, but, um, if there's still a lot of fog and a lot of overcast skies and you can feel comfortable for a large part of the year as far as like temperature and weather goes and it's like the there's all these tech companies there and there's all these jobs doing all these exciting things mm-hmm. so if you're talented and you're willing to like bust your ass then it's an excellent place to live your life
0: Hmm. I, mean, I was there twenty-one years ago. That was uh, yeah, back in two thousand. I was there. I think I think it was two thousand. May have even been nineteen ninety-nine. I can't remember exactly, but uh, you know, sometime ago. I don't know if those tech companies were there at that time necessarily. Maybe they they emerged a bit later. But uh, it just it just seemed like such a, a welcoming, friendly place. Where I mean, and this is because of my interactions with the people in in the shops, as in um, you know, and in the cafes. You know, people just talk to you. You know, you sort walk past them. You say hi. You know, whereas I think in, in LA, if you looked at someone in the wrong way, <laughs> then you weren't going to get a hello. Um, completely different experiences.
1: I think it's retained uh, a bit of that. My parents' neighborhood. Uh, my dad lives there now. Um, it's like oh got so many baby carriages, and there's so many cafes and. Like organic supermarkets and like you don't see the same uh corporate sort of businesses like on every corner and there's a lot of residences and schools and like religious buildings so it's definitely still like a two-story sort of neighborhood where all like 90% of the buildings are two stories and they're all stuck together so I think it's it's easy to uh to feel like you belong to the, the area you are probably because of the the density and the uh out of the way of of this of this neighborhood where my dad lives me mm-hmm.
0: too all right so that's not necessarily downtown, but I guess it's probably it's not too far then. I imagine from being. I mean, how long would it take to get into the center of San Francisco from where, where your father lives?
1: Let's see. It might take a ten minute walk to the light rail, and then if the light rail is in fact working, because they're constantly like redoing the streets and stuff, but ten minute walk, and then you might wait. Another 10 minutes and then maybe half an hour to 45 minutes okay. on the light rail and you're on the main street in we don't have like branches or whatever that go around the downtown, but you would be on the main street and San Francisco's a small city that's like seven by seven miles. So it's it's a convenient sort of walking city after you use the transportation they have. Mm-hmm
0: okay all right cool um yeah and uh, one more question and, and i'll just bring us back to our sort of original uh topic which is the wheel of time how much are you looking forward to the show
1: i am i feel like i'm back i'm back in it in the wheel of time uh it hasn't been that long since the last book came out and like the Wheel of Time has come to me in waves in my life where I read the first uh, like four books uh, once and then uh, I you know, bought the hardbacks every few years and then reread all the books. And so you forget about it and then you're reminded and then you come back to it and then you're just, you're just ready to, to put your boots on and get on the road. Uh, with these characters and the author or the showrunner or whatever i'm just uh i'm ready I'm, I'm i'm prepared i know what's going on and i'm ready
0: mm. well i mean there's less than three weeks now so uh tomorrow it's uh you know the first of november so we're in we're in the wheel of time month um yeah i, I i'm with you i'm ready for it um let's this let's, let's get it on Cool. All right. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Cool. Drab, thank you, man. Um, that's um. yeah, I guess, I don't know if you knew what to expect. I had no idea what to expect uh, from our interaction, but there are lots of areas that we are also um, in agreement with, even with regards to uh, politics. And I can't say that with every American I come across. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that in itself is interesting. Um, yeah, it would be great if we can also like talk again, maybe when the show is out, get some of your thoughts sure. on on that. Yeah. So it wasn't too difficult an experience for you talking to this uh, Brit. Uh?
1: Not at all. I think I do have some food in like cooking slowly in my toaster oven right now. So I should probably get back to that. <laughs>
0: <sometime>. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, I hope it's all good then. Uh, thanks a lot. And I'll let you know when the podcast comes out.
1: Thanks for inviting me, it's been a real pleasure. Two, 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 and a mic. Two two, two, and a mic. Two two, 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 and a mic. Two.